The scripture reading for today's message comes to us from various passages in the book of Proverbs and also from Psalm 119, verse 105. Here now, the reading of God's word, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his death. Proverbs 16, 9, where there is no guidance, the people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen, and finally, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 105, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray one more time. And now, Father, we ask that you would Give us clarity, conviction, and a confession that would cause us to live out before a watching world. Father, you know where we stand and you know where we falter. And we ask that you would fortify where we are strong and condition us where we are weak. And that we could truly be a faithful living witness to a world that desperately needs to hear this glorious truth known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that whatever is going on in our lives that could be tempting us to just tune out and not uh, be present. We ask, Spirit of God, that you would work on us right now, even as we pray, so that we can receive all that you want us to receive, and that you will bless this message in spite of the messenger who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Do you guys know how many decisions an average person makes in one single day? Do you know how many decisions a single day is done in terms of an average person today in our society? 35,000. 35,000, according to Google. 35,000 decisions ranging from the most mundane, like what pair of socks to wear for the day, to the most significant. Should I marry this person? Should I move to this city? Should I say yes to this job? Right? 35,000 decisions. That's quite a lot. And some of you, you hear that number and you simply don't agree. Simply because you think that number is way too high. No way do I make that many decisions in a single day. Or you might think, way too low. Don't you know how important I am? Don't you know the kind of decisions I have to make every single day? Way, way too low. But whatever your number may personally may be, I think we can all agree that on any given day, we all have to make a lot of decisions, especially given the life that we're living, the city that we call our home, and the work that we do. Yes, indeed, we make a lot of decisions every single day. And when you expand that time frame to a week, to a month, to a year, I think it goes without saying that we feel, do we not, the collective weight on our shoulders when it comes to decisions that we make so much so that sometimes making a decision can seem one of the most annoying and daunting things of our lives that we seek to avoid. And because that is so, so often so many seek out some form of guidance to help them figure out what sort of decisions that they should make that would maximize the kind of life that they feel compelled to live. For example, it's not unheard of for Fortune 500 companies to spend billions annually on consultants, on legal advisors, in the hopes that through their guidance, they can make the best decisions for their company. It's further not unheard of for secular atheists who are so good at making fun of us religious folks to yet religiously read the horoscopes or even go so far as to visit those hole-in-the-wall psychics that you see scattered throughout the city. Kind of ironic, don't you think? But then again, Maybe it's not ironic at all, 
Because when you are confronted with the collective daunting weight of the decisions that we all have to make, it makes sense. It is normal to where we instinctively, desperately cry out, is there some form of guidance that can I can advise me, that can help me in figuring out the best decisions that I feel I must make? And this is especially true for those who call ourselves followers of Jesus, right? Because we all know that as Christians, we make decisions all the time in lieu of, in, not in lieu, in light of our faith that has dramatic impact, whether it's to the glory of God or for the good of our neighbors, and we just want to make sure that we get this thing right. And I think this probably explains why the whole biblical decision-making is one of the most popular genre of Christian books that are out there today. And so given that this being the case, I thought it would be wise of us to take a look at this issue of guidance in the context of making good decisions. Because after all, we're going through the book of Proverbs right now, and if there is one thing that Proverbs teaches us over and over is how to make good decisions in light of the guidance of God. The guidance of God. And so today, we're going to focus on how to make good decisions by making sure we know how to get proper guidance from the Lord. And so to do this, we're going to ask three questions that all pertain to God's guidance in the hope that by answering these questions correctly, we can make good decisions in light of the guidance that God gives us, okay? Three questions for today. First, is there such a thing as God's guidance? Number two, are there misguided views of God's guidance? And finally, what are the proper means of God's guidance? The three questions to ask and answer are, is there such a thing as God's guidance? Are there misguided views of God's guidance? And what are the proper means of God's guidance, okay? First question, is there such a thing as God's guidance. Now, at first, to ask such a question may seem ridiculous, maybe even borderline sinful for a Christian to even ask. Is there such a thing as God's guidance? Duh, pastor. Don't we all know this? Don't we learn this in Sunday school? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yes, of course. God guides his people. Duh. Every Christian know this. But wait a minute. Maybe not so duh and maybe not so obvious. Because it turns out that there are quite a few people who call themselves Christians, who call themselves disciples of Jesus, who completely disagree with that very idea. Case in point, back in the 1990s, the Christian research group called Barna conducted a massive poll where they asked thousands and thousands of people who profess to be believing Christians this question. Do you agree with this statement that God only helps those who help themselves? That was the question that they polled a bunch of Christians. And to their shock, they discovered over 70% of believing, Bible-claiming Christians say, yes, God only helps those who help themselves. Wow. Wow. Now, given that this poll was conducted in the 90s and given that biblical illiteracy has just been growing exponentially ever since, I think it's safe to assume that so many in the church, perhaps some of you, buy into this foolish, wrong idea that God only helps those who help themselves right which is simply another way of saying that god doesn't guide us right that he expects us to guide ourselves to figure it out all on our own to just make our own life work out based on our own abilities and yet scripture says that is absolutely wrong for consider the two passages that we're first going to consider and what it has to say with 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 this regard proverbs 3 verse 6 says this in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths you see that phrase straight your paths it conveys this image of a very smooth road, free from obstacles, free from barriers, free from dangers, right? 
hold on to that thought as I now read to you Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That word establish could equally be translated as make happen or determined, right? Now you hold on to these two Proverbs, and what can we conclude with regard to God's guidance? Can't we conclude that God not only guides us, but in fact, it would go so far as to say that the only way our lives could ever turn out is because God has determined to make it happen that way. Let me say that again. Not only does God guide us, but God makes sure that what he has determined, what he said will happen to our lives, actually does happen. That's the only way our life is now and how it will always be. You see? Now, some of you guys are hearing that, and you're quite disturbed. The reason why you're disturbed is because it sounds fatalistic, doesn't it? It almost sounds like what you're saying, pastor, is that it doesn't matter what I do with my life. It doesn't matter what choices I make, what decisions I make. If God has already fixed, if he's already predetermined how my life is now and how it will ever be, doesn't that mean that my decisions don't matter? Doesn't it mean that, that my choices don't matter, that, that, that my life is just pointless? Well, that's the conclusion of some people. And before you jump on that bandwagon, let's circle back to those two passages that I just read to you. But this time, focus in on the reader, you, and what it has to say about you. Proverbs 3, 6, it says, in all your ways, not God's ways, your ways, acknowledge him. And then the next passage of Proverbs 16, the heart of the man plans his ways, not God's ways, his ways. Now, this is interesting because what those verses I just read to you is telling us is that even though God has determined, he has decreed how your life is and will ever be, it's always in the context of your free choices. It's always in the context of your own decisions that has not been imposed upon by an outside force, you see? You see, in some ways, your life is completely determined by what you choose to do and how you decide to live. And yet, paradoxically, in some other way, God also says how you've lived your life and how it's turned out is all because of how he has decided your life to be. Sounds confusing. Pastor Tim Keller explains in a sermon where he preached on this very topic. Listen to what he said at one point in the message. He says this, quote, your plans are yours. Your choices are yours. You're responsible for them. No one is forcing you. God is not forcing you in any direction on that. It's yours. If you do something stupid, something wicked, something selfish, something cruel, there's going to be results that have bad consequences. People are going to hold you accountable, and they should. God will hold you accountable, and he should. Your plans are yours. But what actually happens as a result of those plans, what actually happens in history, whether they're good words or actual deeds, those are absolutely controlled and totally fixed and set by God. Nothing happens that is not according to his plans. Your plans belong to you. Your choices belong to you. But what actually happens is completely set. It's completely fixed, both at the same time, end quote. Now, how do you make sense of that? <laughs> the answer, you can't. It's simply beyond our human creaturely comprehension. But we can know enough to figure out that our life is not like the story of Oedipus Rex, nor is it like the movie Back to the Future. You guys know those cultural references, right? Oedipus Rex, Back to the Future? Let's break it down. Oedipus Rex, that ancient Greek story about a young man named Oedipus who gets a prophecy from the Delphic Oracle telling him that later in his life, he's going to kill his father and marry his own mom. Yeah, quite disturbing, quite disgusting, right? 
Usually any person in that moment would be horrified, and Oedipus was. And so throughout his story, he tries to make the best decisions, tries to make the best choices to make sure this prophecy does not come true. And yet, lo and behold, what happens? He kills his father, doesn't realize it's his father, and he marries his own mother, not realizing that woman is his own mom. And the point of the story is pretty clear. Your choices, your decisions, it don't matter. Your life is 100% exclusively only determined by fate. And the Bible says, no, that is wrong. And yet, on the other hand, you have the cult classic 1980s movie, Back to the Future. You guys know that movie, right? If you don't, watch it, okay? It's a good movie, you youngsters, right? But anyway, it's about a young guy named Marty McFly, who befriends kind of like this mad scientist character, Doc Brown, who creates this time machine, right? A car time machine. And Marty goes uh, back into his past, and he also leaps forward to the future. And at one point in the movie, Doc Brown, the scientist, says these words to Marty. He says, Marty, always remember that your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. You know, the point of what that statement is making is that your life is 100% completely, exclusively, and only determined by your choices, your decisions, and those alone. And again, the Bible says, no, that is wrong as well. In fact, it's more accurate to say that your life is 100% determined by your choices and your decisions, and yet paradoxically, it's also 100% determined by what God has sovereignly decreed and determined for your life. Somehow, some way, these are compatible, but it's beyond our ability to comprehend it. Heck, it's beyond our ability to even apprehend it. But yet, we can still apprehend enough that God's guidance is something that we should seek if we want to make the best decisions of our lives. And indeed, that's what we must do. We must seek out the guidance of God. But to do that, you must make sure that you avoid the wrong ways of seeking God's guidance. Because as I'm about to show you, there are actually incorrect and improper ways of seeking the guidance of God that will not result in good decisions, but actually quite the opposite. And to tell you what that is all about. Let's answer the next question for today. Are there misguided views of God's guidance? If you ever read the plethora of Christian books out there that deal with this issue of biblical decision-making or God's guidance, you'll come to see that it basically comes down to three basic views with regard to God's guidance. First, there is the God's best plan for your life view. Then there is the charismatic view. And then third, there is what is called the wisdom view. Okay? The three views that are so prevalent in the church today with regard to guidance from God, is the God's best plan for your life view, the charismatic view, and the wisdom view, okay? In this point, we're only going to look at the first two because those are the most pervasive and the most popular, but as I hope to show you, they also happen to be the most misguided. And the third view will wait for the last point for today's message. So let's take a look at the first one, the God's best plan for your life view, right? So what this view basically says is that God has a tailor-made, unique, one-of-a-kind plan for your life that you are destined to live. This is the life that you were created for. This is the optimal life that you should strive to live, or what is sometimes known as the plan A life, okay? But this view goes on to say, however, that because we are sinners and because we sin, it is totally possible to miss out on this plan A to where you are knocked down to an inferior state of life, a plan B life where you have to settle, but not for God's best, but for God's secondary best or tertiary best if you keep on living a life of sin. And people who hold to this view will say that the way that you figure out God's guidance with this viewpoint is through your feelings, your feelings. You ever hear someone say, you know, 
that decision didn't feel right. Or you know, I didn't feel inner peace within when I made that choice. People who talk that way reveal that they hold to this kind of view, right? Now, with that in mind, go back to what it says in Proverbs 16.9. Zero in on that word, heart. Heart. That word heart is actually literally translated for the Hebrew word gut. Gut, right? And now you understand where in our culture today we get this whole idea of the gut feeling, right? Where people will say things, yo, man, just trust your gut. What is your gut telling you? What, what, what's in your gut feeling with regard to this? And follow that. That's where this idiom comes out of with this Hebrew terminology of the gut or the heart. And Proverbs says that so many people who follow their gut determine the way they should go, right? Or the decisions that they should make with regard to a certain issue. Now, listen to what Proverbs warns to those who live this way. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Wow. The way that we go, which is determined by our gut feelings, can sometimes, many times, Proverbs says, lead to death. What is it saying? It's saying that relying on your gut feelings, relying on your feelings, is probably not the most reliable guide for you, which is another way of saying God does not guide you through your feelings, to where just because something feels right doesn't mean it is right, you see, right? And therefore, you need to beware. In spite of what you think, in spite of what you feel, you cannot rely on your feelings to be the instrument God uses to guide you because God would never in a million years lead you to something like death. God is the God of life. He is not the God of death. And because that is true, do you realize what that means? It means there's no such thing as a plan A. And because there's no such thing as a plan A life, there's no such thing as a plan B life or a plan C life or a plan D life. Consider what theologian James Petty says in regard to all this. He says this, we tend to think that while God has a best plan for our life, he also has some other cheaper plans for people who miss the best. We remember certain foolish or sinful decisions we made, and because of the consequences, we see ourselves on a permanent plan B regarding God's will for our lives. Each time we make another bad decision, we drop down a notch to plan C, plan D, and being the sinners we are, we soon run out of letters in the alphabet. We think of what could have been if we hadn't married so-and-so, had not gotten pregnant before marriage, had not taking this horrible job and taking out uh, the one that would have made our career or had not blown up our, on our teenage son. But those who are in Christ, listen to what he says, there is only one plan, God's plan. This plan holds despite all of our stupid mistakes and sins, end quote. If God loves you enough to ensure that you have really the best plan of your life, eternal life with him, don't you think that he loves you enough to make sure that you don't have to settle for a life even though you've sinned and may deserve that inferior life, you see? God loves us. He's for us. To where even when we sin, we don't have to fear that we're going to miss out on what God has planned because God already showed you through his son. I'm going to give you the best life ever with me. Have some faith. Now let's move on to the second misguided view that some people have with regard to God's guidance, and I call this the charismatic view, and just by that, you can tell that this is a view that is held very popularly amongst those who come from a charismatic and Pentecostal tradition. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what I'm speaking of, listen to how Pastor James Petty, theologian James Petty, he, how he puts it. He says this, in this view, God communicated directly and verbally with individuals, families, and churches to let them know his plan for them. 
This often occurs through an apostle, prophet, prophecy, audible or inaudible voice, or a, quote, word of knowledge. Prophecy and prophetic utterances are the clearest way he gives direct, inspired guidance. Sometimes gifted individuals give a, quote, word of knowledge, revealing something that could not be known by ordinary human insight. Dreams and visions are also forms of direct communications from God to the Christian. In short, each means of revelation that God used to give us in the scriptures is still available to individual Christians today, end quote. Now, chances are there are some of you in this room who really resonate and relate to what I just read to you, either because you were educated in a certain Christian tradition where you were taught that this is how God guides you and you were discipled to live your Christian life this way, and secondly, you've had certain experiences, maybe supernatural ones, that the fruit of it caused you to want to grow more in your faith, to love your God more, and to be more faithful to him. Wonderful things. And so with that said, let me offer this caveat. Please, oh please, do not take what I'm about to say as a personal attack against you or your experiences or the Christian tradition you come out of because that is the furthest thing that I would ever do to anybody, okay? But with that said, you need to understand something. And this is something that charismatic and Pentecostal theologians and pastors would even agree with me a thousand percent. The bedrock of our faith, the foundation of our faith that we go to to understand and to grow as Christians is not through the Christian traditions come, we come out of. It is not through the experience that we have. It comes solely from the word of God, from scripture, from God's word. And so just by that qualification, let's consider what Scripture has to say with regard to all the charismatic experiences that went on during the days of the Old Testament and the days of the early church with regard to the days of the apostles. This is Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we read, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What is it saying? It's saying at some point in the past, God spoke through Moses, David, Elijah, the former prophets, through charismatic, ecstatic experiences and utterances, right? This is how God primarily guided his people. But then look at how it begins in verse 2. But... But, 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 but. If my son was here, he would be laughing because his dad is saying but so often. But, but in these last days, God has spoken through the word of God, his son, Jesus Christ, right? God has spoken through his word. What that means is God primarily guides his people not through charismatic experiential signs and wonders, prophecies and utterance, miraculous healings and so forth. That's not his primary way of guiding his people as it was back in the day. Now, of course, are we saying that God never does this anymore? That he has completely gone silent from a charismatic standpoint? No, not necessarily, especially when you're talking about parts of the world that have no Christian impact, no Christian influence, where there is surpassing demonic and supernatural things going on, right? But what we are saying normally, usually, primarily God's guidance, not through the way in which it was before the coming 
of Christ and with the closing of the scriptural canon, you see. How do I know this? Well, to explain, I go to the last question for today. <clears throat> what are the proper means of God's guidance? You know, as a pastor, I do get approached many times by many folks, many of you guys, on how to figure out God's guidance on an issue, right? And the reason why people like that come to me is because usually they have some major decision to make or they have a crucial choice that they must do, right? They must follow through. And whenever people talk to me in those kinds of conditions, I can just feel the feelings that they're struggling with at that moment. And you know what that feeling is? Fear. Fear. People are so driven by fear, the fear of making the wrong choice, of making the wrong decisions, and furthermore, they're terrified of the consequences of making the wrong choice and wrong decision. And every time I am confronted with this fear vibing out of them, I always say the same thing. I say, listen, pay attention. God doesn't care about you making the right decision as you are right now. What he cares about more is that you become more like the right person who is then able to make the right decisions. Let me say that again. God does not care as much as you do right now of you making the perfect decision or the perfect choice. What he does care about more than that is that you're becoming more and more like the perfect one. Okay? How do I know this? Because that's what the gospel teaches us. What does the gospel teach us? The gospel teaches us that God came into the world as a mortal human being, Jesus Christ, so that he could die on the cross for our sins, excruciating, humiliating death as our Savior substitute, so that why? We can marry the right person? We can get the perfect job? We can move into the right city? No. The Bible says for one reason and one reason alone. Jesus did all that he did. Why? So that you would be like him. Romans 8. Starting in verse 28, we read, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purposes for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them, listen, to become like his son, so that his son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God cares more about you being like the son than you marrying the perfect person or you getting the perfect job or you moving to the perfect city or you making the perfect choice because when it comes to perfection it is not found in a spouse it is not found in a city it's not found in a job it is only found in jesus christ you see this is what it's about it's to be like Jesus, to where the more you're like Jesus, then you're able to make choices like Jesus, which are the right choices, which are the right decisions. Do you see? Good choices, good decisions are a byproduct of the main thing, which is to be like Christ. When you focus on that, then the good choices come out. Then the wise decisions come through. You see? So you must make it your ambition to be like Christ. <clears throat> but let's say you did. Let's say that is your ambition. Let's say, Pastor, I'm sold for Jesus, and that is what I'm all about. That's what I'm here for. What do I do now, practically, now that I'm there? Right? Well, let's take a look at the last two passages for today's sermon, because what we'll come to see is that Scripture tells us that once you've made that decision of making the main thing the main thing, which is to be like Christ, practically you need to do two things afterward, and they are as follows. Study the Word of God, and listen to the people of God. Those are the two things that you need to do practically if you want to make good decisions 
that flow from your commitment to be like Jesus. Take a listen to what it says in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible tells us it is the word, God's word. It is scripture that is the guiding light for your life. To where the more you study the word of God, the more you'll be equipped and enabled to make good and wise choices and decisions. Because when you study the word of God, what are you learning? You're learning the precepts of God, the commands to obey, the promises of God, the things to hope in, right? And the principles of God, the things that you should live by, right? When you know the precepts, the promises, and the principles of God, then you are equipped to see your decisions. And here, check it out. When you study God's word, you're able to properly rank your decisions in its proper ranking system. What do I mean? Well, did you know that not all of the decisions that you make in life are of equal importance? That's right. Some of your decisions are what is known as crucial decisions, right? And these are crucial for you to make because obeying God, honoring God is on the line, okay? But then, <clears throat> after crucial decisions, you have what is known as significant decisions. These are decisions that are not at the same level of obeying God, but they are significant enough to where if you make the right choices, blessings will flow. If you make the wrong ones, hardships will follow. And then you have the third category of decisions, which is known as trivial decisions, where you can just choose of your own decision, of your own liking. It doesn't matter. Let me break it down with a real example. Let's say you have this guy who decides not to marry this girl who's a non-believer. That's a crucial decision he just made because scripture clearly says that a believer should never marry an unbeliever. And by making that decision, he has done a crucial thing. He has honored the Lord by obeying God, right? That's a crucial decision. But let's say a couple years later, this guy has two options with regard to marriage. Here's Christian girl A, who is not as committed to her faith as he is, and Christian girl B, who is just as committed to him with regard to his faith, right? That's a significant decision. Why is it not a crucial one, Pastor? Well, because they're both Christians. So if he married either one or the other, he's not disobeying God, right? But it is a significant decision because if he marries Christian girl A, his life could be much harder than it has to be. But if he married Christian girl B, his faith can flourish and his faith can grow much more easily, you see? Okay? But let's say this guy comes to the senses and he marries Christian girl B. And now he's like, vanilla cake, chocolate cake for wedding cake trivial right trivial now here's the thing if you're not studying the word of god you can go wrong with this where you can take a trivial thing and elevate it to a, a crucial thing what do you mean we're not having chocolate what do you mean we're not gonna have sprinkles on it like are you crazy right or you can take a crucial thing and reduce it to a trivial thing yeah, he's not a Christian, but he makes a lot of money. He's Korean. My parents like him. He's a doctor. You see what happens? When you're not properly studying the word of God, you cannot properly see how your decisions rank in order of importance to where now the consequences of making a poor, foolish decision is very prevalent. You see? The more you know the word, the better you will be able to live out your conviction to be as Christ-like as possible. But here's the dilemma. You as an individual don't have enough energy, have enough mental space, have enough time to know the word of God as much as you need to to really exercise your full potential to be as Christ-like as possible with your decisions, which leads you to the second thing that you must do if you want to make good decisions. You must listen to the people of God, the people of God. There is a reason why God gives to his church pastors and teachers 
who have made a commitment to be Christ-like as their main mission in life and to study the word of God and who are also teachable and humble to where they're always learning from other people as well. Those are the people that you need in your life, Christian, okay? And not just pastors, but other people who you go to church with who also made it their mission and mandate in life to live out their calling to be Christ-like and to study the word and to be humble enough to be teachable, right? If you don't have other Christians like that in your life, the chances of you making good decisions will really go down significantly. But the more you are humble, the more you are teachable to where you're willing to listen and learn for those who are committed to Scripture and are committed to Christ like this, you will increase your chances of making the best decisions of your life. You see? The more you are open to the counsel of other Christians, the more you are equipped to know the Word of God collectively to make the best decisions of your life individually. You see? Listen again to what it says in Proverbs 11. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Safety that includes the safety that comes from making good choices, wise decisions, you see? A couple things that I want to end with right now. Some of you guys have kind of fallen victim to this best plan for your life thing where you feel you've made some poor choices, right? Maybe you think you married the wrong person or maybe you think you went to the wrong school or God forbid, maybe you attended the wrong church. I don't know what to help you with that, folks, right? And yet, God says, have faith. Your God loves you. Others of you are so focused on the kind of experiences that you think you were grown up to taught to believe in, or maybe you're still holding on to a faith experience that you had before you had much exposure to the Word of God, right? And my encouragement to you is, let those experiences be for what it is. Let it be the foundation for your faith, but keep growing now by centering on the Word. Keep growing in the word, right? And most importantly, make sure that you make it your ambition to be like the best person of all so that by being more like him, you make the best choices and the best decisions of your life. And even when you don't, there's still grace for that. There's still mercy, you see? So either way, it's win-win. Why fear? Why fret? Why worry? Why wring your hands? Your God is for you. He is with you. Whether you make the best decisions of life or whether you make the poorest, but there's still a pathway to make the best decisions. And I hope in prayer that as you're confronted and bombarded with choices and decisions that you must make, that you hold on to that conviction, that you strive to say that in my hope of being like Christ, I know my God promises that he will lead me and guide me. Will you believe that, Christian? Will you hold on to that now? That is my prayer for all of you. Let's pray right now. Father, we ask that as we are confronted with so many decisions in our lives that we must make, the choices that are laid before us, that first and foremost, that we would not be filled with dread or fear, that we would refuse to listen to Satan and his threats and his condemnation. God, that we would remember that if you have given us the best life of all, eternal life, we can be assured that you can still make our broken, fallen lives the best that it could ever be because your grace is sufficient and you're more than enough. But Father, we still desire to make the best decisions. We still strive to make wise choices. And so God, help us to do that by first and foremost prioritizing of being like your son and making that our main mission and ambition in life. And as we do, let it compel us to study your word fervently, faithfully, and in addition to also be submissive to people who can teach us, 
who can help us to further our knowledge of the word beyond our own individual capabilities so that collectively as a church family we would live out our lives making the best possible choices making the best possible decisions giving you honor and glory and being a blessing to this world would you help us do that now for we ask all these things in jesus name amen and amen we're now going to